Thank you, Angela, for reading scripture and uh, praying for us. Um, <clears throat> a few weeks ago, we, we started a series. We were going to do a brief series on sort of the art of neighboring. And then we called an audible partway through that and kind of had a message addressing what we could call the underlying ethos of our culture right now, this sense of anxiety that, that people are facing, this heightened sense of alertness and, and, and un, lack of safety. It's even hard to explain. Anyway, we did that. And then last week, we, uh, we kind of doubled up on that theme, and, and it was Ascension Day. And, and so we're only returning to this uh, series now, and we're also ending this series now. <laughs> so uh, it, you probably have a, a poor memory of where we were uh, when we left off. And that's okay. What we, what we had said that first uh, service on this subject of, of neighboring and evangelism and how to, how to do friendship evangelism was we said, look, uh, we, we believe that God has placed Gra Grace Valley Church to seek to fulfill a vision that every resident of Dundas would have a meaningful encounter with Jesus Christ. And we had said that the primary means by which that vision is going to be fulfilled is actually not through the community uh, corporate programs of this church. We have corporate programs that we hope will be uh, used by God to introduce people to Jesus. We have Christianity Explored, which is starting this Wednesday. Another plug for you. Invite people to come to Christianity Explored. Free meal and hanging out with Mark and Keith, which are two you know, awesome things that all of you should want to ever want to do at any time. We have uh, two weeks, Lord willing, of kids camp this week, this summer, and we have a, a summer soccer camp this, this summer as well. And so these are opportunities for us to introduce the neighborhood to Jesus, etc. And by the way, yesterday was an opportunity as well. From what I heard, uh, the worship team was practicing when the uh, when the craft market opened and there were people who came in to the sanctuary from the community just to listen to the worship team practice, which is pretty cool. So we had a number of, we've got things going on, but they're not actually the primary means by which people are going to be introduced to Jesus Christ. The primary means we saw last time is actually through the people of God, Christians, believers, fulfilling the second commandment loving their neighbor as themselves. When we are concerned as much with the well-being of the people around us, the people in our neighborhoods, the people we know in our communities, and, and we seek to meet those needs in a, in a serious way, the way we do for ourselves as well, we are able to build relationships with them, pursuing their good, in order that they might, we might be able to give a hearing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And really... This way of living is kind of summarized in the word hospitality. It's learning to offer hospitality to the people around us. Now, that word hospitality actually uh, comes from the Latin word that means it's not entirely certain if it means host or guest or stranger, but it encompasses all those things. It means opening up not just your home, but opening up your life to other people. 
And it actually means even more than that because in Romans chapter 12, when the Apostle Paul says, practice hospitality, and he calls that one of the gifts of the Spirit. Some of you are very, very good at that. You're very good at having an open home where people can come in. It doesn't matter if there's socks and underwear hanging around on the couch. You don't care. You just love it that people are in your space. You love to to welcome them and give them a cup of coffee or a tea or a meal or whatever. You have this gift of hospitality. The rest of us maybe aren't quite as good as it, but just because some something is a gift and you don't have it doesn't mean that you can't do it because as we've seen in the past, every gift that the Bible describes is also a command that the Bible gives. So just because you're not gifted at hospitality doesn't mean you get to like disregard that call to be hospitable. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh yeah. In Romans 12, Paul says, practice hospitality. Literally what he says there is, love the stranger. Love the stranger. In other words, we're supposed to open our lives not just up to people. We're supposed to open our lives up to people not like us. People who come from different walks of life, different socioeconomic classes, different ethnic backgrounds, different uh, uh, political uh, views and, and understandings. We're supposed to be willing to engage and become friends with people who are different from us. Uh, I can't remember the name of the book, but I got a quote from a really, what, I, what I thought was a good book. <laughs> and it says this, The simplest way to change the world is to leverage your ordinary life for God's history-sweeping mission of hospitality. Now think about this. Leveraging your ordinary life for God's history-sweeping mission of hospitality. What is the gospel? God offered hospitality to you and me. We were barred from the presence of God. We, because of our sin, the doorway, the way was closed to have fellowship with God, who is our true home, who is the one who created us to be in eternal fellowship with Him. And we rejected Him. Our first parents turned their back on Him in the garden, and every single one of us rejected Him in going our own way and choosing our own desires and living for ourselves. And God pursued us through His Son and actually allowed His Son to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin on the cross. Why? So he could welcome us home. I know you're like, man, he's getting pretty worked up pretty early on. Don't worry, I'll calm down for the rest. But think about this. Jesus brought us, the stranger, home. When Jesus died on the cross, it says in Matthew that the, the, the temple, the curtain at the, in front of the holiest of holies was torn open, meaning that the way to the Father, the way home was now open for us to just walk in. And so as we welcome the stranger, as Rosaria Butterfield puts it, strangers become neighbors Neighbors become friends, and friends become part of the family of God. Study after study after study has shown that when you talk to new Christians about how they became part of a church community, 90% of them say that they had a relationship, a friend, a neighbor, someone who cared about them that invited them into that community. 90%. And by the way, this is why even though we're a pretty active church, we actually don't want you to become overcommitted to 
church stuff. We want you to be able to build margin in your lives so that you are able to actually practice hospitality to, your, to the people around you. Yes, we have lots of programs and ministries, and I'm plugging, by the way, Kids Camp. We need volunteers. Please sign up. But that's just a week at a time. And then you can go back to having all that time for fires and barbecues and stuff like that with your neighbor, okay? But we want you to build margin into your life. And, and, and I think the Bible actually calls us to do that. Last time, we, I will get to this text soon, but last time when we looked at the text where Jesus was asked, what are the greatest, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and all your mind, and all your strength. And, love your, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus didn't just kind of go, he didn't pop, pull that out of thin air. He didn't say, hmm, what's really important? Oh, I know, loving your neighbor as yourself. He actually took that from the Old Testament. He took it from Leviticus chapter 19. And what's very interesting is that after Leviticus 19, which gives a whole bunch of of laws, after it says, you know, you are to love your neighbor as itself, it's followed by what looks like a completely random uh, law. The next law is about gleaning. And it says, you know, you farmers, when it comes time to harvest your crop, uh, don't harvest all the way to the corners of your field. And if you're harvesting, when, you're, when your workers pick some stuff up and they may drop stuff, don't go back and pick it up again. Just leave it there. Now, what in the world is going on? Well, this was so that the poor, the marginalized, had opportunity to come to your field and they could glean in the corners and they could glean the stuff that had been left on the ground so that they also had food to eat. So you're building in these margins, so to speak. Now, any good businessman, and there's probably a number of you in here who are thinking to yourself, well, that's not good business because every good businessman says you take uh, the, the profits and the, and the, and the uh, production of your business and you plow everything back into the business. You, you don't waste a, 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 a bit. Not one seed should go to waste if you're going to be truly stewardly with your resources. And God says, not in my kingdom. That's not how it works in my kingdom. In my kingdom, you're supposed to leave margins so that when there is someone in need, you have something to share. Let me give you a very practical example of this. Now, you, you all, not all of you, but I hope almost all of you, set aside money for tithing and giving offerings to your church. One of the things you can do is you can set aside another amount of money for surprise opportunities, what I'll call surprise opportunities. Now, this is risky because, you know, this week we're going to launch a capital capital campaign to ask you for more money. So now I might be shooting myself in the foot, but It's worth it because this is more important. This surprise opportunity fund is is money that builds up over months and it just sits there. And it's not for, you know, the Breast Cancer Society. It's not for, um, you know, uh, the Lung Association or something like that. It's for your people. So you have a neighbor whose furnace breaks down. And they need to get it fixed, and it's cost them two grand, and they, don't, they, they only have one. And you have a thousand dollars to give to your neighbor to help them fix their furnace. 
And you say to yourself, but I don't get a receipt for that. <laughs> so what? So you have this fund so that you can help the people around you when they are in need. When springtime rolls around and you see your, your elderly neighbor who you know loves flowers but isn't really able to move around and get around because they're, they're becoming a little more immobile, you go to your fund and you go to one of your nursery friends and you go buy a bunch of plants or buy a bunch of perennials or, or annuals or something and you show up at their house and you say, I got you two hanging baskets and a bunch of plants that I want to plant in the front. And they go, what? You say, yeah, why? Because I love you. Why? Because Jesus loved me. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about building in margins, okay? That's what hospitality is. And I know your calendars are full. And so you have to scrutinize your calendar. You have to scrutinize your budget to be able to respond to the needs of those around you. But understand, it's going to cost you to be hospitable. There is absolutely no way around it. Anyway, I'm going to move on to our text. Oh no, before I move on to our text, I want to quote to you Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen was a brilliant theologian. He taught at Harvard University and he left it all. All the notoriety and, and the speaking circuits and everything, he left it all to uh, work with L'Arche, which is a community of people devoted to the most vulnerable. That is, people who are uh, physically disabled and need constant care. And he became one of these people who just cared for folks at a home and L'Arche. That didn't mean he stopped writing or anything. He did st still writing. And listen to one, one of the things he wrote. He wrote this, More and more, the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. It is a privilege to have the time to practice this simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult. Listen to this. I love this. It is difficult not to have plans, <laughs> not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social progress. But I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat and drink with them, to listen to their stories and to tell your own and to let them know with words, handshakes, and hugs that you do not simply like them, but you love them. Doesn't that speak to so many of our impulses? Oh, it totally speaks to mine. To be, to be useful, to be productive, to want to fill the calendar and populate it with important things that I'm doing. Why? We have this building. It's huge. If you've never been through it, try a wandering. You get lost very easily. It's huge. Don't you feel the pressure to put ministries into this building and to make sure that it's active and hopping all the time? I feel it. I mean, the Lord provided it for us, and you want to steward it well. And of course, these things are important to do. We want to be able to look busy because it makes us feel good, because it makes us feel like we're doing what we should be doing. But listen, before we ever do anything, we must be something. 
And that something is people who love people. And the way you show you love people is having time for them. With the time that I have left, I just want to introduce you to this idea of the why and the how of introducing people to Jesus through hospitality. The why and the how. First of all, why is this, why is this way of hospitality, why is this the biblical model? And it's not the only biblical model, but it is, it is the major biblical model. Like, why don't we just hand out gospel tracts, right? Invite people to church, go down to the Starbucks and stand beside the Jehovah's Witnesses and they say their thing and we say our thing and, you know, see how that works. Why don't we do it that way? Well, because what we see here this, in this text, it gives us several examples of this invitation to look. In verse 36, it says, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God. In verse 39, Jesus himself says, come and you will see. In, in verse 46, Philip is talking to Nathaniel about Jesus. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And Philip says, come and see. And then even when Jesus is speaking to Nathaniel in verse 50, he says, you believe because I told you that you saw, or I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. What do we have here? We have John the Baptist introducing people, Andrew, He's introducing Andrew and another guy to Jesus. And then Andrew goes to his brother, Simon Peter, and he introduces him to Jesus. And we see Philip telling Nathaniel, hey, come and see. I want to introduce you to Jesus. Here's the point. Christianity is an encounter with a person. It is not primarily a philosophy. It is not primarily a way of life. There is lots of philosophy and lots of practices and lots of way of life stuff in Christianity, but that's not primarily what it is about. If that was primarily what it was about, then what we could say to people is, hey, listen to this great podcast I've got. Hey, watch these videos. Hey, I've got a gospel track for you to read. Hey, I, I, I think uh, you should uh, go to this lecture series with me. And that would be fine because it would just be all about getting the information and understanding it logically and away you go. You get all you need. Just apply the teaching and you're there. But Christianity doesn't actually work that way. Yes, there is teaching to learn. Yes, there is philosophy. Yes, there is practical stuff like that. But at the end of the day, Christianity is first of all, not an encounter with a principle. It is an encounter with a person. What we heard Chantel talk about this morning was about a relationship with a person, not, with a, not a relationship with a bunch of abstract ideas about how to apply principles to her hardship. She didn't say, you know, the uh, theory of substitutionary atonement was a great comfort to me when my mother passed away. No, she said Jesus was a great comfort to me when my mother passed away. Now, what does this have to do with hospitality? People find Jesus through friendships, through community, through relationships. We see it, we see it here in this text. Everybody's listening to everybody else because of a relationship. Someone says, come and see. The inviter says, come and see. And the other person, because of who has invited them, they become curious. 
You see, most people, listen, most of us believe the things we believe because we're part of a community that makes it plausible. We do. Because our family, because our friends, because of our upbringing, because of our our community believes mostly a a certain set of beliefs, it, it makes it easier for us to believe those things too. Yes, you're supposed to analyze your beliefs. Yes, you're supposed to question your beliefs. But why do you think so often a college kid who's raised in the church, grows up, hearing about Jesus, believing a whole bunch of things, goes off to university, comes home and says to their parents, well, now I'm not so sure. Where do you think that comes from? It just doesn't come, it doesn't just come from that angry atheist philosopher that Christian movies try to project upon us. It comes from being outside of your community. You're in a new community. It's a community that thinks differently. It starts challenging your beliefs and you start questioning them and you you don't necessarily engage with everything perfectly logically. You engage with them on a relational level and you say to yourself, well, maybe the belief system that I grew up with isn't everything there is and maybe this belief system that I'm, I'm encountering now and discovering now, maybe it's just as plausible or even more plausible than the one I grew up with. Your relationships are huge. And therefore, God says, leverage these relationships through love in order to introduce people to Jesus. I have so much more I want to say on that, but I'm going to move on. That's the why. What about the how? This is, this is where people often get stuck. They say, okay, I want to. I get it. You're, you're selling it to me very well, but how do I do this? Well, there's three things that this passage describes, I think, that are helpful for us. First of all, in verses 41 and following, listen to what it says in verses 41 and 42. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. Now notice a couple things here. Andrew says to Peter, we have, we have found the Messiah. Now, Andrew knows what Peter's talking about because Andrew, like Peter, is a Jew. They're both from the same cultural background. They're both from the same religious background. And so he says, we found the Messiah. Andrew understands that and is excited about it because Andrew has been looking for the Messiah too. Like every good Jew in that culture, they had their eyes on the horizon, hoping and praying that Messiah would come. And Andrew says to Peter, I think maybe we found him. And so what Andrew does is he meets Peter where he is. Think about the things your neighbors need. Think about their felt needs. And speak to those felt needs. Listen, that's not, that's not wrong. It's not like you're compromising the gospel if you, if you show how the gospel speaks to the felt needs of someone in your life. If, look, I... Uh, I have this side gig of buying and selling cars. I make no money on it. Actually, I lose a lot of money on it. But for some reason, with all these people in my house who need vehicles, I'm always buying and selling another car. And when you, bought, when you sell a car, it's good to know your, your customer, right? So your customer is really concerned about safety. You say, well, look at all the safety features of my car. Or maybe they're very into fuel economy and you say, well, you know, this, I know it's a V6, but it's this and this V6, and that's a better V6 than that V6 because it's very, very economical, especially when you're driving long distances. And if they're into style, you know, you wash it. <laughs> and you say, look at this cool color. Oh, yeah, you look great behind the wheel. Oh, put some shades on. Now you're talking, man. 
It's the same car. But each, each buyer, so to speak, has different needs. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know what your neighbor's struggling with? Do you know what they need to hear in the moment? We once had, I'll just tell you one story. I'm, I'm no superb evangelist, I can promise you that. But we once had our neighbor over, and she was very nervous and concerned and anxious about a thing that was going on in her life. And we were having dinner, and I said, you know what? Can I read something to you? And I read from Matthew about how Jesus says, do not worry. And it was an opportunity to speak the gospel into a person's felt need. Now, how are you going to know the felt need? You got to know the neighbor, right? So that's the first thing we learn here. Second thing, they brought him to Jesus. They brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. He said, come with me. And he brought him to Jesus, verse 42. And that's when Jesus spoke to him. Now, he did it obviously, you know, obviously, and literally, and physically, and you can't do that, but you can still bring your neighbors to Jesus. And how, how do you do that? Because you're probably thinking to yourself, my problem is, is that I, I feel pressure to speak the right way, you know, or I've got to make sure I give a clear, explicit gospel presentation, in, and the moment never feels right. It always feels awkward to kind of bring it up. And you know what? For most of you, it does feel awkward to t- bring it up. There are many people for whom it isn't. Not, well, I shouldn't say that. There are people for whom it isn't. For my father, it is never awkward to bring up the gospel. It does not matter what you're talking about. It always has to do with Jesus. You're buying patio furniture. He says, great. Now let me tell you how that has something to do with Jesus. I don't know how he does it. It seems natural for him. When I try to do it, I look like an idiot. Yet, here's a way you can bring people to Jesus, even if they don't want to go. You're talking to them about a felt need, and you say, I'll pray for you. And did you know that when you pray and you, you have a neighbor who you care about and love and you pray for their needs, you are bringing them to Jesus in that moment. So you can say, I will pray for you. Or you can go another step further and you, you ask them, may I pray with you? I can tell you this, I have never once been told no. I really want to ask Conan and Brenda if they have, because I know they do a lot of neighborhood evangelism. But I've never had someone that I've said, hey, can I pray with you for a minute? I've never had someone say, I don't want that. Yeah, it might happen. But very, very unlikely. And especially when you start having them in your home, you can just pray in front of them because there's nothing they can do about it. You're in your space. So we have neighbors over, and we, we, before a meal, we pray, and so we pray, and uh, we, we pray for the meal, and no, no neighbor says, whoa, 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 I didn't know, I didn't know you were going to throw a prayer on us before we had your spaghetti. They bow their head, and they listen. And if you know the gospel, you can pray the gospel in front of them, and if you do devotions after a meal, do your devotions after the meal, and don't apologize for it. You can... You can bring people to God very simply through your care and love and concern for them. Now, the third thing you have to realize is that you have to have courage. You know, in verse 46, Philip goes to Nathaniel and he says, I think I may have found the Messiah. Come and see. And Nathaniel, his name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good from there? Good come from there? And that's the thing that probably is your biggest obstacle. You're afraid of having a Philip and Nathaniel moment where you finally bring up the opportunity to speak of Jesus and share and, and you get this like 
cold shoulder or bad attitude. Now, in this situation, Nathaniel is actually not being grumpy, okay? Most people aren't grumpy when you introduce them to Jesus. Nathaniel is actually sharing a legitimate objection. Nathaniel's a Jew too. He knows the Bible, the Old Testament. He's been waiting for the Messiah, and he knows that Nazareth is not really much of a town. It's kind of a dinky little no, out, out, of, out of the way nobody place. And he knows the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. And so he's like, what's up with this Jesus of Nazareth? How can he be the Messiah? It's a fair objection. And listen, friends, you've got to understand, there are lots of reasons not to believe in Christianity. There are. And maybe you're afraid of someone dropping a bomb with one of those good objections right in front of you. How can there be a God when there's so much evil in the world? You heard Angela's prayer. I mean, we're praying for a list of, it seems like society is falling apart all around us. And how can you believe in a God when there's so much evil in the world? How can you believe in a God when there's no evidence, there's no proof for his existence? How can you believe in a God when so many Christians suck? These are fair objections. They're good objections. They're good questions. And you're afraid you don't have an answer to it. Come to my book club. That's one of the ways you get a good answer. You know, you know another way you get a good answer? Practice. You got to have the courage to practice. And you'll probably be kind of lousy at it at first. But that's okay. You practice. And what you practice is your story. Chantelle has a story. Just by writing a testimony, she was able to practice this story. And, and all you're being asked to do is say, come and see. And, and let me just tell you about who he's been for me. Well, before, when we started uh, Grace Valley Church many years ago, many, five and a half long years ago, um, when we started the church, we met as, as, a, as a team of people uh, trying to understand how do we share the gospel with our neighbors. And one of the things we were supposed to do was try to come up with a, come up with a, a pithy, less than a hundred word way of summarizing the gospel for us, what it's done for us. And one of these folks, and I've used this example many times because it, it has always been so inspiring to me. One of these folks, this was their line. Before I was a Christian, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. And now I can. Now there's power in that story. And you all want to know, what, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And so do people who hear that from this person. They want to know what it means. So Nathan asks Philip this great question. It's a stumper, but notice Philip doesn't freak out. He doesn't get all flustered. He doesn't get defensive. He, he says, I don't know. Um, come and see. Let's go and talk to him and find out together. Let's go and find out together. You know, sharing Jesus is not about ramming him down other people's throats. It's saying, let's figure it out together. It's saying, hey, come to my book club that my pastor's doing. I really want more people in my book club, eh? Let me close with this. Charles Spurgeon he was famous for declaring this. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. Friends, all you have to do is let Jesus loose 
if you really believe in him, if he has really changed your life, all you have to do is let him loose and he will defend himself. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, who is our life. Father, this summer is barbecue season. We're coming out of COVID. People are lonely and could use some friends for the sake of the gospel. Not, not, not for the sake of utility, but because you have changed us and made us people who love. May we befriend our neighbors. May we be good friends to them. Even if we never have a chance to say a word about Jesus, may we be good friends to them. And if in your sovereignty you give us opportunity to, to introduce them to the, to the one who has transformed our lives, may we do so. May we do it in a way that is winsome, caring, and inviting. Because, Lord, the harvest is ready. And the fields are white with harvest. So may we go out and work. In Jesus' name, amen.